When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Everything over at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash all gas and destinationdevi.com. We have daily articles, some premium content, some free content, along with numerous podcasts that are releasing every single day. We just got through a marathon stream on Friday night, Trades in 5. Happy two-year anniversary to Trades in 5. We went for five hours. Uh, Ray graced us with his presence for 45 minutes on the stream. And then we followed that up on Saturday night. Shane and I did a AMA in the Discord. uh, And I stuck in there for about another hour and talked uh, with everybody in there uh, until about 11.15. So it was a really, really good weekend of content. Uh, We just are finishing up Sunday night football here between Dallas and San Francisco. And this officially marks the about one third way through the season. We are five weeks in on the last couple of shows. I've kind of talked about directions that you can go with your rosters. And I think it's important to hearken back to an article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago talking about when you identify those teams that are in the middle, they're not the easy ones where I'm four and oh, or I'm four and one or I'm three and one or soon to be four and one, whatever it might be. If you don't have one of those teams where you know the direction and vice versa, if it's a team that is at the bottom, oh, and four, oh, and five, can't buy a break, have a bunch of injuries, whatever it might be. Those are the easy ones to act and say, you know what? I'm maintaining and I have some ammo to fire later, knowing that I can make a move to win or I'm out of it. And I know who to sell. I know who to liquidate. I can just punt towards next year, put this team aside uh, and start moving it towards the bottom ahead of everybody else and trying to get, you know, potentially a higher draft pick, trying to move for some insulation in the future, uh, even if the value is pretty square. And I think that's a big thing Ray and I just talked about on Destination Chill this past Wednesday was when you're in that situation, the motivation to just get the deal done, just make the trade, even if it's square value, even if it's a little bit less, even if it's 80 to 90% of what you think true market value is one true market value doesn't exist in your league. Your league sets its own price. So you may say, yeah, this calculator or this website or Twitter poll or whatever it is, or everybody else's opinion that you trust may say, yeah, that's a little bit light. And you may say, well, I get it. If I had 10 situations where I had this player and I was trying to trade, I'd probably be more cognizant of looking for that price, but I don't. I have this league. This is the situation where I want to sell this player. And let me go ahead and just take what I can get. I did that in a deal this weekend. And that's what today's show is going to be about. It's going to be about five trade types or archetypes or prototypes or whatever you want to call it. Different types of trades 
that you should be looking right now. And the most important thing about this is I've thought through five different types of trades that I still think can work. There's been a lot of different creative trade ideas that I've put together over the years. And one of the issues is some of them, if not all of them, do not always work. Now, this isn't going to be for every league. There's some leagues that it's going to still work. There's some leagues that people are too smart and they're not going to go for it. But generally, I think these five trade types are still ones that you can take advantage. And one thing that Ray and I talked about the other night on Destination Chill as well was the reactionary market. And it's not the first time we've touched on that topic, but the reactionary market where everybody is playing things week to week, who's injured, who's not. Who has a good matchup? Who doesn't? Who's hot? Who isn't? There's a lot that goes into values, but the majority of it, I think, comes down to those factors. Now, does that change their value or their long-term outlook or their profile? Not necessarily. What it does do, and this is something that I think is the next iteration of measuring dynasty trade values, is the demand versus the supply who actually is being sought after to be sold or bought in a given week. It's not about their value. Everyone can probably say, yeah, this player is worth around this much. But what separates whether you can get that much or not? Certainly your league, but more importantly, the demand of the player. There are players that really you would say, hey, you know, that player's long-term outlook hasn't changed, right? Let's take a guy like T. Higgins, for example. Broke a rib last week, missed this week. Really, he probably is what he is. He's probably a top 24 receiver in Dynasty, but he's not a top 12 receiver in Dynasty. So it's pretty clear he's probably just in that range. Now, what is that worth? That's probably worth, I don't know, a random future first. Let's just throw that out there and say a random future first, maybe a first and a third. But let's just say a random future, middle of the pack, completely random coin flip 2024 first. Okay. Now the caveat to that is although his value doesn't change from week to week, even if he's out, has an injury where he's going to be out maybe a couple more games, it sounds like, but what changed? The supply and the demand. The person that has him may say, well, I can't use him right now. I am a motivated seller, but only if I can get that price that everyone kind of agrees should be his price. The buyer may not even exist at that price now because they just don't have the motivation to pay that price today. And then you get into the fact that they're trading away a fungible asset. They're maybe giving up their only first that they have. They're also betting against their own team by trading away the first, or they're betting against their own team being bad by trading their first. And they're buying somebody that's not helping them over the next couple weeks. So if you think about that, really his market isn't a 2024 first. But because the person that has him probably agrees that that's around what his value is, and there's no reason to say his value won't get back to that price as soon as he's healthy, there isn't a buyer at that price. And someone put out a really good tweet. I should go back and look it up, but they mentioned how the dynasty market is not like the stock market, but it's more like the housing market. And I don't necessarily know about that. I just don't think it moves as quickly. But in general, player prices... If you think about your league or your portfolio of leagues, player prices typically don't change as drastically as 
we think. What changes is, and this is why I think the person maybe said it wasn't like a stock market, because there's a stock market that you can go and just liquidate something for whatever it's currently worth. Sure, that might be 10% less than what it was worth two weeks ago, but you can go get that price right now. You click a button, you sell the share. You don't have to search for a buyer. You know, you don't have to go to a league and say, okay, who wants this? And if nobody says they want it, in theory, at that moment, if someone says, I have no interest in T. Higgins right now, then there isn't a value. There isn't a price that you can get for him. Now, certainly there's always going to be a low enough price, but those trade discussions never happen because it's like a reserve on eBay. If anyone remembers uh, the old eBay where you would have a reserve on an item, and I believe you can still do it. I haven't used eBay in a little while, but you put a reserve price, meaning the floor price is X. I have a $10 item, but I put the item at $7. That is the reserve, meaning it will not sell for anything less than $7. And that's a lot of times what players are in Dynasty, and that's where you get into this conundrum that we talked about the other night, where nobody will sell and nobody will buy. But it's not that neither person will buy or sell. It's just where the agreed-upon price range is, nobody is willing to meet inside that range. And that feels like what stymies 80% of Dynasty trades. And a lot of times people are not wrong by thinking that. Why would I give up a first for T. Higgins right now, when he's not going to help me probably for another couple weeks? And why would I sell him for a second and a third or something like that unless it's just some wacky deal where I can use those to package up and get something else? There just wouldn't be a reason for either person to move. So it creates this paralysis, which we often think, well, that's a person that's just scared to make a move. But really, they just don't see a way to make a move in the current range, nor do they even inquire Because both people just assume the other person isn't going to go down to the range they are comfortable paying today. And that's essentially what dynasty trading has become. So the more that I thought about this, and I thought about this a ton last week, was it isn't as much as people are scared to make moves. It's because the perception of the prices change. And to be honest, when we're going through and clicking, who do I prefer on keep trade cut or who do I prefer in a trade poll? A lot of times people are clicking that based on the right now, meaning if I was doing a draft, if I had to pick one for one, there's no leverage, there's no extra value, just on the factors that sit there at 10 p.m. Eastern when I'm clicking the button, A or B, I'm just going to pick one. And a lot of times that is going to be based on the most recent information. But that is not the same as are you willing to liquidate the market value at the going rate in your league. And that's not paralysis. That's just a market that isn't in the right spot to make a move. And that seems like what's going on in a lot of leagues. Uh, And that seems like where a lot of deals fall apart or there's an impasse. Um, I talked about in the Discord uh, AMA on Saturday, there was a couple examples where that was happening to me. And the only reason was, is when you talk to the other manager that you're negotiating the deal with, they essentially just say, you know what, I'm biased. I don't want to make this move. It has nothing to do with the market of the current players. So there's definitely a difference. Uh, Probably explains why there's not more deals that get done right off the cuff. Uh, It's maybe a good thing that people are thinking these through and they're not just buying off the most recent information, but we would be kidding ourselves if the most recent information, instead of changing the buy and sell values, and I think we do a bad job of saying this is a player's value, 
versus what it is changing is changing the tendencies of whether somebody is going to be a seller or a buyer or whether the supply or the demand goes up. And that's the difference. I think we need to do a better job as a dynasty community of measuring what is the supply of this player, meaning how many shares of this player are even available out there. Because in a lot of leagues, a guy like T. Higgins, there is no supply of T. Higgins. He's not available. He's available at the price that the buyer doesn't want to buy, meaning there really isn't a demand or a supply at the agreed-upon price. So unless both managers meet in the middle and concede, hey, there's some outcomes that favor me, there's some outcomes that favor you, and we both benefit by doing this type of deal, For instance, I traded a Cooper Cup share for T. Higgins and a second. That was probably close to the agreed-upon price, and the agreement point in the middle was both teams are going in opposite directions, and it helps both of us go in the direction that our teams need to go. My team going towards the bottom and their team going towards the top. So right there, those two factors are what got the deal done. It was not the price on either player. We both conceded, hey, the price on either player is close enough that we're going to take this deal. And boom, we both saw the extra benefit to our team by making the deal today. So just an example, something to think about more. Um, I don't know of any sites that are really measuring this, uh, but I know that there's a lot of this that is essentially being included in like Keep Trade Cut. It's just not direct to measure how much is, is it the actual player value Or is it the supply and the demand? Because a lot of times you'll see the player value go up and then you'll go, yeah, he's never available for that price. He's never available to be sold at that price. And if it's low enough, then he's never available to actually be purchased at that price. And then boom, that creates this paralysis or impasse. But in both cases, each manager, the buyer and the seller, arrive there probably with the right conclusion. So just interesting to talk a little bit about actual market value versus the supply and the demand, and then how that is influencing the motivating factors to whether somebody is willing to pull the trigger at the agreed upon market price. Because the agreed upon market price, that's never been more stable than ever. There's 10 places you can look, and generally they all have a very similar market price. So to argue and say that's just not true, or that is wrong, or I don't believe or I don't feel that that should be the price, okay, you can play that way, but generally I'd say most of the people that I play with, they're all using some sort of tool or website or calculator or something to say, yeah, that's probably around the price range, but what's stopping the deals from getting done is I don't want to buy in that range, or I don't want to sell in that range. And that's when the paralysis happens, and we call that like managers not willing to do anything, but generally I think that's probably pretty smart if you don't feel the market aligns with the supply and the demand. So long topic, I didn't mean to spend 14 minutes introducing that, but let's get into tonight's main event topic, and it is going to be five different types of trades that I think you can pull off based on what I just talked about. So I already kind of established the reason I introduced that topic with supply and demand and motivating factors and being able to identify when it is not paralysis versus the supply and the demand issue matching up with the price is there are types of trades that are very hard to pull off because of those factors. But I also think there are other trades that you can still make if you're able to identify maybe some of the motivating factors on the other side and also be willing to lean into the uncomfortable a little bit. Like part of what gets deals done is being able to say, okay, I'm not just going to pull the wool over someone's eyes. I'm not 
going to be able to just go to the market and go, you know what? I don't want T. Higgins because he's injured. So let me just go liquidate every share I have for a future first. If you could do that and you could just say, hey, give me 90% of his value at any point and just make it flexible assets and go turn that to something else, you'd never really have any risk. And that's just not how Dynasty works. There needs to be a buyer and there needs to be a seller that you can get something done quick because there's other deals where maybe you could do that, but it doesn't happen fast enough for you to be able to benefit and use those assets elsewhere. You can't just go to a market and go, yep, I'm done with T. Higgins. It's week five. I'm done with him. Let me get a first. Boom. And I have it within five minutes. If that's how it worked, it would be a totally different game. It's not a stock market. It's not a trade buy sell market where you can just go move off your pieces at any point. You need to find another person that is thinking it through to make the deal. So the premise here is that these are five trades that I think you can still make. And I'm not going to talk about roster construction, but I am. And I'm going to give a shout out to Josh McAtee, who is one of the Heisman members. And he asked on the AMA the other night, am I going to redo the roster construction series? And I started thinking about it more. My initial answer was, I'm not sure. I'm going to need to look at war. I'm going to have to figure out, really, do I want to go through and do it? Because generally, I think 80-90% of it is the same. But that's not necessarily true. I think the roster construction stuff is similar. But I think the next iteration of the roster construction series is going to be Talk about the optimal roster construction series. Like, that's pretty easy to do. Go through and say, if I'm building a team in an optimal league, I can use the war, I can use what I know about roster construction to talk about it. But then, what challenges, because ever since 2022, I've been implementing this pretty much steadfast in my leagues. You know, so for the last two seasons now, 2022 and 2023, I've pretty much been playing this way. But... There have been some challenges that have come up to where, okay, yes, I'm constructed right, but what happens when chaos gets inserted into that league? What happens when the construction starts to fall apart? You know, what things happen from week to week where I go, yeah, this was a little bit of a challenge when this happened or when that happened. And then you have the market factors, like the buy and sell factors that I just talked about. There's definitely some speed bumps that can happen. So does that mean I want to be less strict? Not necessarily. I think the optimal is always the goal, but there's a lot of leagues where you go in and you read the room and you say, yeah, the optimal is probably not going to work that great here for these reasons. So I may rethink about doing the roster construction series, but then match up like what is optimal with the current trends and see if there's even better ways that you can leverage that. Because if the optimal says this, but then the optimal plus the open market says, maybe I should tweak it a little bit then fine. Like, I'll give an example, and then we'll move on to the trade time. So otherwise, I'm just going to keep rambling the rest of the night. One of the things I said in the roster construction series was, let's say my wide receiver threshold was top 50. And just a reminder, I did this series last November and December on the DD feed. It was a four-part series where I went through each position. Uh, So if you want to check that out, it's really still evergreen that you can listen to right now. But let's say my wide receiver target number was top 50, and I wanted to have seven of them maybe eight. Now that's a lofty goal, but let's say I accomplished it, or let's say that was what I was shooting for. Now, part of why I said that was, of course, there's bye weeks and of course there's injuries, but also because the wide receiver market was really robust and a lot of people are willing to trade for wide receivers. However, what happens when you get in a league 
and you're constructed that way. And part of why you constructed with eight receivers in that range was, you know what? Receivers are liquid. They are liquid assets that I can trade. And that is assuming that you can always move one at the market value that you want. But then back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. What if you have a team that has a T. Higgins? What if you have a team that has a Drake London? Those are going to be two of those eight receivers that you have. But even if you say, hey, I'm not using them right now, they're excess, they're also not as liquid as you think, unless you are willing to move a piece that you know the demand is there right in the moment you're going to move it. So that was maybe one of the flaws in my strategy. If I had to change it, I would probably reduce a little bit of the extra at receiver just because it's not as robust of a receiver market 100% of the time. And I can expand on that more in a future episode, but it's very interesting because I have some teams where I go, wow, I have eight really good receivers. And I go, I only need to play five of them every week. So I'm set. And part of the reason I wanted eight is because it's a really robust wide receiver market. And I hope I now have essentially like another first round pick, right? If I have a guy like a DJ Moore or a Brandon Ayuk or someone like that, or even Drake London or George Pickens, if I have someone like that on my bench, I should be able to liquidate those guys for a first if I ever need a first. Now, maybe I can throw them in a trade, but maybe the person I'm trading for isn't a fan of that individual receiver. So I'd almost rather have the liquid form of the picks. But part of that is just contingent on, hey, I'm making the assumption when I'm doing the roster construction series that at any point I can go move Drake London for a first. So I'll just have an extra Drake London. So I'll build with an extra receiver just because it's such an insulated market that I can always go get a first. And that's just not the case. So if you think about it that way, there's probably a little bit more of a benefit to go towards less liquid assets, assuming I've been able to build some of that liquidity in by not over-investing in the wide receiver position, not paying that extra startup pick to draft my wide receiver six or wide receiver seven, or not using that late first round pick in a rookie draft to draft another receiver in that threshold. Maybe I kick that pick to the future and make it be more flexible and not worry about, hey, yeah, I may be really strong a receiver and I can go move one. But at the time, there may be two on bye week. There may be two that are injured. There may be one or two that have a down market. Like right then and there, when I want to liquidate, it's not the perfect time. So something to think about with the roster construction series. I think I may reboot it towards the end of the year and kind of talk through some of the things that I've seen that have been opportunities or challenges or barriers that I've noticed with some of the teams that I think are optimally constructed. But then you go, okay, where were some of the pitfalls during the season where this was a little bit more difficult than just set and forget? So today's show, five trade types. I'm just going to rip through them and give examples. I think I've made a trade doing all five of these over the last two weeks, and I'll try to give examples where I can. Uh, But the first trade is the QB3 teardown. Um, As we get into bye weeks and we have some injured QBs now, uh, there's going to be some QBs that are going to be starting. You had Tyrod Taylor that may start a couple games now. Uh, You have Gardner Minshew that may start a couple games. So there's going to be some kind of gross backups that come in and potentially start. Then you have some starting QBs that are injured, and then you have some QBs that are on bye week every single week for the next month at least. So there's just going to be a little more volatility over the next six weeks or so at the quarterback position. Now, if you have a QB3 that is seen to be a little bit more stable, and we'll talk about this on War Games uh, in a couple weeks, more to come on War Games. Ray and I are going to do a War Games show talking about the war through the first six or seven weeks of this season, and we'll talk about that 
um, on one of our uh, destination chill time slots. It's likely going to be filling one of those. Uh, we're going to look at the war, and historically, when you look at war in lineup leagues, uh, just standard like four-point passing touchdown leagues, you really do see that it drops off uh, right around like wide receiver 18. It's a little bit flatter this year, but generally it drops off right around like the middle of the QB2 landscape. So a common trade that I think you can still make is have the conviction to go buy a quarterback that you think fits in that range, but either doesn't have long-term security or doesn't have a good system or whatever it might be. And even if you disagree with that, what does the market think? You know, you're going to see some QBs that people are just assuming, you know what, they're not going to have a job in the future. You're going to see some backups that maybe even a guy like Tyrod Taylor could start eight more games this year. Like, who knows? But when you get into those situations, a lot of times people are still willing to pay up a little bit for the job security. So when you go up that tier and you are moving off of somebody like, I don't know, even Desmond Ritter or Ryan Tannehill, you know, those are two examples that come to mind. Kenny Pickett is another one. Mac Jones is another one. And Mac Jones coming off a horrible game this week. But the point is, tearing off of one of those guys when they are your QB3, and maybe you go up a little bit higher, maybe you go up to Derek Carr or someone like that. Tearing down from those guys and still keeping the same roster construction. So maybe you tear down from somebody like, I don't know, Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson, you tear down from one of those guys and you go down to somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's if they are your QB3. And that's almost a free value move because the reality is you really don't want to ever be starting that QB3 unless you have to. And maybe that's two games a year when your other two starters are on by. Let's chalk up one or two games where maybe there's an injury. Maybe one or two other games when there's just a matchup when you say, you know what, this top 15 QB that I have is going up against a really tough defense. Maybe they're missing a weapon. Maybe their line is depleted. And I'll start my Jimmy G over one of those guys. But let's just assume only 25% of the time, max, are you ever considering your QB three over one of your starters. Then the real kick in the balls can be, is that timing lining up when it actually makes sense, right? And there's times where sometimes the backup QB option that gets a spot start the Andy Dalton spot start, the Gardner Minshew spot start. Sometimes those matchups can be even better than your QB3. So it's not even a guarantee that if you have a QB3 and, hey, I have to use him this week, that it's even going to be a matchup where you go, hey, I prefer that QB over one of the lesser ones that probably doesn't have the long-term value or is even going to be a starter for more than a couple weeks. So I think this is just like a free square piece of value that if you're willing to be a little uncomfortable, especially if you understand the secondary QB market like this, like the tier three, four, five, six QB market, there's really not a lot of value to hold those guys. And from a war perspective, there's definitely not a lot of an advantage having QB 20 on your roster. The only thing that's really putting any value on those players is, okay, maybe he's going to start the rest of the year. But even after this year is over, is there going to be any value in a guy like Ryan Tannehill? Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, if you don't know what their future is going to be, the market is going to react like, yeah, man, I don't really want that guy. So I think tearing down off your QB3, just understanding kind of the math of when you need to use them, and then tearing down to even somebody that's just a part-time replacement. You know, let's say Daniel Jones misses six weeks. 
Tyrod Taylor's in there. Now, do I really want to be starting Tyrod Taylor? No. But I really don't want to be starting my QB3 on most of my teams that are built with two better QBs anyway. Now, this is probably more for the teams that feel very good about their first QB and feel pretty good about their second QB. So your second QB might be like CJ Stroud or Jordan Love or Justin Fields or someone like that where you go, yeah, the general consensus is I'm going to start those guys every week. Then your QB3 might be a little bit lower. So maybe it's Carr. Russ Wilson, someone like that. But I think those are great spots if it's not a best ball league, so we're talking lineup leagues here, to just pivot down. Pivot down for free value. Example might be you sell a guy like Russell Wilson, you get Jimmy Garoppolo in two seconds. You know, you sell a player for another player and you get back a second. I saw a deal where somebody sold Kirk Cousins, they got back Matt Stafford a second and a third. The reality is I think the person looked at that and goes, yeah, you know what? Cousins has been better than Stafford. For the most part over the last five years, he's been better than Stafford. I think there's a perception that Stafford's health is way worse than Cousins. But then you really kind of look at it and you go, they're almost the same guy. And if I can get a second and a third for free, someone may be willing to do that. And it's just a free pick. And essentially you're betting on, hey, when I have to use my QB3, again, that 25% of the time, It's not that big of a difference between the two. It may even favor the one that the market prefers less for reasons that really aren't relevant to my roster construction. So that's the first example. Pivoting off of your QB3, even if your QB3 is a quote-unquote locked-in starter. So pivoting off of a guy like Derek Carr, and you go down to the Gardner Minshew who may start for six weeks. If they say, hey, he's going to start for six weeks, Richardson's going to be out, six to eight weeks. I'm just throwing that out there because I haven't heard official diagnosis on him yet. Sounds like it might be that serious, but let's just say it was. Let's say XQB is going to be out for six to eight weeks, and it's offense where you can say, you know what? A replacement level guy can come in to that offense and probably be top 24. Minshew's probably a good bet to be a top 24 QB if he starts for six weeks. So you make the pivot. You pivot off of a quote-unquote locked-in starter, And of course, aim high, you know, ask for a second on top, ask for a second and a third on top, but just realize you're creating some free value to where the value is worth more to you, especially if they're in your QB3 spot on your roster. Long term, it's hit or miss, but if you're getting a second and a bunch of spot starts potentially out of that, you're probably not getting more for a QB in that range. So something to think about. I don't want to give specific player names any more than I have, but I think it's the process behind, hey, I have this QB3. Can I tear down? Can I tear down for other value? Because really, I'm just carrying a very expensive insurance policy. And if I can tear down for some more liquidity and still keep my construction, then perfect. That's where I want to start looking after this week. The second type of deal is the flat wide receiver pivot. So a wide receiver pivot move, and really it's just looking at, you can look at the war, you can look at points per game, and you can just see where it really flattens off. And this also goes back to what I talked about earlier with the wide receiver threshold, right? Like understanding the wide receiver threshold in your league, it's going to be a little different if it's a start 9, start 10, start 11, start 12. What I mean is really, what is the threshold of where you would want your receivers to be that you're comfortable just throwing them in either your wide receiver 2, 3, or flex spots? And I think that's the biggest thing to understand is when you're in that flat tier, it's more important to have enough of those options versus 
having the higher quality options from a week-to-week standpoint. Sure, I want the higher quality options every single week, but the reality is wide receiver matchups, offenses, QB situations, weather, week-to-week, it's extremely volatile. That's why the war ends up being so flat, because there's spike weeks and there's dud weeks. And then the war average, or the total war for the season, ends up in a really, really flat line. Everybody understands that if they've seen the graphs before, and anywhere from wide receiver 10 to 40. Somewhere in that range, it's extremely flat. So when you say it's extremely flat in there, okay, can I find spots where I can take advantage of the current market? And this comes back to the supply and the demand. And I'm just going to buy a receiver in that same tier for one of the receivers that I already have and try to get some extra value out of it. And I made a deal like that where I was looking at Nico Collins. I have a team where CJ Stroud is my QB3. So I'm not even starting CJ Stroud that often. Every once in a while, but it's not like I'm always starting him no matter what. I have Kirk Cousins, Jalen Hurts, and C.J. Stroud. And generally, I've been starting Kirk Cousins over C.J. Stroud. So I also have Nico Collins. And I looked at that and I go, you know what? Yes, I have a stack with C.J. Stroud, but it's a team I'm willing to sell Nico Collins on. And I'm not going to move Stroud, but I'm willing to sell Nico Collins. And it's a contending team. It's deep starters. It's a start 12 Um, And I didn't have a ton of extra draft capital that I could move. I have three firsts in the league, but I didn't have a bunch of other picks where I can just throw around. I had made a couple deals where I had bought some assets uh, for a couple seconds and a couple thirds already. And I go, I need to get some of those back. So what I did is I sold Nico Collins and a third, which probably is going to end up mid third, maybe mid to late third uh, for Romeo Dobbs and an early to mid second probably going to end up being, I wouldn't say early, early mid-second, but maybe 204 to 207, somewhere in that range, 204 to 208. So basically, I traded a receiver in that range that I think ends up just being similar to the receiver that I got back, and I upgraded a third to a second. Now, people may say, yeah, that's just a preference deal, but I look at it as in a start 12, both of those receivers are comfortably within that threshold, meaning Whoever that player is that occupies that slot, whether it's Romeo Dobbs, whether it's Nico Collins, whether it's insert 20 other receivers, they will always be in my lineup. They are within that threshold of where I'm always going to start that player. If they're healthy, I will always start them because of the parameters of the league. And I'm willing just to live with the variance of week to week, and I'll take the extra pick. And I think that's the key, is being able to identify, are they in the range? What you don't want to do is trade a receiver that's in the threshold for a receiver that's not in there and get back a second. Unless the receiver himself is only worth a second. What you don't want to do is make that deal when you're pivoting outside of the threshold, especially when you give back the third. So I think it's important to identify that in a start nine, this is a harder deal to make. In a start 11, start 12, start 13, in a best ball league, these deals are just smashes. They are free pick value, and you could be wrong. And just remember, I play in a portfolio where there's a lot of leagues, so I can make 10 of these deals. And if I'm right on five or six of them, great, because I did get the better pick in 10 of the deals. So if I'm right on the receiver in even just four or five of the trades, it's a huge win because I got the pick upgrade in all 10. So think about it that way. And then there may be a couple where even when I'm wrong about the receiver, it's not damaging enough to where it wasn't even worth the pick upgrade. So think about that. If you need to build some capital on your team 
And I think the benefit for me there is I have a better chance of moving that second for what I think could be a quote-unquote impact starter meaning I should be able to move that second maybe for an aging veteran on a team that falls out of it, but a guy that can actually produce. The difference between a second and a third on the open market is huge. So the fact that I now have an extra second on a good team, huge deal. And I looked at it like, hey, I'm willing to swap Dobbs for Nico Collins, or in this case, I get Dobbs and I trade away Nico Collins, and they effectively fit the same spot on my roster. And then also I'll look at the portfolio too. I actually had more shares of Collins than Dobbs, so it worked out perfectly. I evened that out. I ended up getting the upgraded pick. So that wide receiver tier down, as long as you are pivoting in the flat range, uh, and you have to be willing to understand the variance of week-to-week wide receiver production, and go, you know what, I'm going to sell the guy that just had a pretty good game for the guy that maybe didn't have a great game. And just bank on going forward, the variance is going to go your way in a couple weeks. That's how you tear down. And this isn't a leverage deal necessarily. Sure, if you can get the the player in a second for a player, then fine. But this is more of I'm willing to just do a pick upgrade. So it's a two for two where you upgrade the pick and you stay in the same tier at wide receiver. Next up, we have the running back leverage deal. And this is an easy one. I've talked about it before, but I've been able to pull it off a couple times already. Uh, It's easy to do. Really, what you have to do is you have to be willing to move spot start running backs to other teams that need them, even if they are your competitors, right? Like you have to be able to go, hey, do you need to start this running back this week? You know, and even if you're like, yeah, I don't know if this guy's only going to start one game. You need to be able to make the move with other teams that are willing to make the move back and just embrace the fact that, hey, I don't necessarily need this running back this week, so I'm willing to move them to someone else, and it's for this specific type of deal. Because I've gotten a lot of questions about, hey, when you have extra running backs and you have this week's Josh Kelly, you know, that's not a great example because he's not good, but you have this week's spot start running back where everybody agrees, hey, this is a top 24 or a top 30 play this week. I'm willing to move them, right? Do you do that in leagues where A, you may start them, or B, you're trading them to other teams that are competing with you? And I generally play it this way. Do I want to trade to teams that are competing with me for a playoff spot or whatnot? Not exactly. But I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to trade to my competition just because they're my competition. So you go to these types of deals, and the running back leverage deals is exactly how it sounds. Hey, I'm going to start my lineup and see who I'm going to play this week, and I have a couple options on my bench. I have a Matt Breida on my bench, and I have a Emery Di Mercado, who may start next week for Arizona. And both of those guys, I think, are top 24 to top 30 running backs on the week. I can't start both. I've set my lineup. I'm not getting both of them in my lineup. So I'm looking at it going, man, I'm going to lose potentially one of these guys or both guys after this week. They're one-week hits. They're one-week starters. Now, sure, they go back to handcuff range after this, but this is the week. This might be the only week of the year Mercado has a market. And that market might be, hey, I'll give you two-fourths. Hey, I'll give you a third. And that's probably to a team that A is contending, Because a team that's tanking or punting, they're probably just not even going to care who they start in their running back spots. So it's going to be to a team that's competing with you. And they go, you know what? I'm only going to pay that spot start price. If I end up getting more spot starts, maybe Deontay Foreman enters the mix now with Khalil Herbert's injury. Like maybe they get more than that. So what I've seen is people go, I don't want to trade with my biggest competition because I'm giving them a body to put on their bench 
or put in their lineup, and I'm only getting a third. Now I have to hope that the market stays that way next week when I have that third where I can go buy the other way. So I'm the opposite. I'm like, you know what? I'll trade to my competition. I'll trade to the team that I'm playing this week. I'll give you Matt Breida. I'll give you Emery DiMercato. Sure. But I need the leverage, meaning I need another body. And hopefully I can get the third. If I can't, maybe the two fourths or maybe the fourth and a fab and a body or something like that. But this is a running back leverage deal where I go, okay, I will give you Matt Breida. You can start him. But what I need is a third or a fourth or fab dollars. But I need a running back back. I need a running back back in the deal that clearly you want to buy a running back. You need one to start. I see that other guy on your bench. I see that other collection of running backs on your bench. You haven't started them, though. So I need one of those back. And we can negotiate, but as long as it's somebody that I consider, okay, they're an injury away or they're an injury away for at least getting on the field, then I can do a deal. And I think that's a great deal to make when you know you're not going to use the spot start running back. So the running back leverage deal, two for one, essentially it's saying, hey, I'll give up any spot starter that I'm not using, but I need a body back. And that's it. Give me the body back. Give me the pick. We have a deal and I'll live to see another day. So that's the third type of deal, the running back leverage trade. Uh, The fourth one is the running back or tight end liquidation deal where I go, I'm just going to shed, I'm going to liquidate, and I'm going to let it rip. So I called it the tight end running back liquidation and let it rip trade. And the thing with this is I've talked about it over the last couple weeks. uh, What is the biggest barrier to exploiting the current running back and tight end strategy, landscape, market, whatever? It is that a lot of times we do not take advantage of some of the variance or volatility that happens at those positions from week to week. And it comes down to what I've talked about on the last few shows. Running backs, tight ends. The worst thing is when you have the running back or you have the tight end that you are deciding between, and you can see where this comes in the spot starters. I have four spot starters this week. I can only play two. Now I have to decide. Of course, that's a situation where you go, maybe I should trade one or two. Maybe I should liquidate, get something, and just play the other players that I can't liquidate. I have four spot start running backs. Let me trade two away today. And I'll just start the other two that I need. And I'll live to see another day with the couple picks that I netted. Same with tight ends. If you look at your roster construction and you go, man, I have too many tight ends. And I am sitting this tight end. Maybe I even benched a guy like Dallas Goddard. Because you know what? He just hasn't been producing. You know, I started Tyler Conklin over him, who had a pretty good game in his right. But I started another tight end over Dallas Goddard. Or... I'm deciding between three guys that are the same. Every week, I'm trying to pick between Noah Fant, Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurst, something like that. And you just look at it and you go, man, I'm guessing these wrong every single week. So you see that a lot at running back. You see that a lot at tight end. So if you notice yourself, you're in that situation. You know you have a team where you're carrying like four tight ends, almost all formats. Uh, If you've listened to me in the past, you do not want to flex tight ends unless it's just a dire emergency. So if you see one of these rosters and you go, man, I have three good tight ends. And when I say good, I mean like playable, usable. Like I could play them and I could maybe get 15 points out of them if they have a good game. Like they're a starter. They've been somebody that's maybe produced in the past a little bit. But I have three of them. I have no clue who to pick. 
And the reason you liquidate here is A, you liquidate. You always want to liquidate players that you don't need. But more importantly, the extrinsic benefit to liquidating a running back. Hey, let me sell this running back for just a third. And this is if you can't get the leverage deal at running back. But same with tight end. Like, I don't even want a tight end back. You know, you need a tight end this week? Sure, I'll sell you Dalton Schultz. You can have him. Give me a third in a non-premium league or give me two thirds in a tight end premium league or something like that. Whatever the going price is. But the idea is hopefully I'm freeing up another tight end that I was picking between them and Dalton Schultz. And now it just makes my job easy. This definitely goes for shallower leagues as well, where you go, hey, I can pick up some replacement filler tight ends off waivers. I mean, this is exactly how you should play a redraft league. You should never carry more than one tight end, especially shallow leagues where you go, yeah, I can pretty much pick up replacement value off waivers. Same in Dynasty. I see a lot of tight end rooms where it's just the first thing I notice on the roster, too many tight ends. Too many tight ends. Doesn't even matter how old they are or their profile or anything. Too many tight ends. You know, when I see a roster that has Michael Mayers, their tight end three, what's the point? What's the point? Now, you can't sell him for anything, but if you could, if you could get a reroll on Michael Mayer and sell for 75% of what he's worth, all you're doing is just betting that he doesn't get in a range where it's going to burn you. If he just gets in a range where it's going to be a nightmare when to pick him to start, then just liquidate and free up the options that you have on the bench or that you're platooning with Michael Mayer. Just free up the decisions. Just say, hey, I'm comfortable with Tyler Conklin the rest of the year. He's been getting a lot of targets. You know, his market share is pretty good from the tight end position. So I'm just going to roll with him. I'll just start him every week and I'll live with the results. So really the move here is dumping those guys to make your decisions easier week to week. And you do not have to keep guessing because not only are you guessing and getting it probably wrong as much as you're getting it right, but that's flattening off the war. You're actually getting in your lineup and you're wasting roster spots at the same time. So the fourth deal, the running back slash tight end liquidation deal where I say you can just let it rip with whoever you had on your bench or whoever you were platooning and you just start them. And if you have an injury, then you fix it then. But otherwise, just eliminate decisions at tight end and running back in your lineup. Life will be much easier from a week to week standpoint. And the final deal, this is one that I made a couple weeks ago, but it's one that I start seeing more prevalent now, especially when picks start to become more defined. And it's called the veteran double combo trade. And what this is, is this is a team that is contending. So a team that is looking to move their future first. So if you're four and one, five and oh, you're at the top of the potential points and all play standings, you're sitting there going, you know what? There might be a point, maybe not this week, maybe not week seven, maybe not week nine, depending on when your trade deadline is. Hopefully you don't have one, but if you do, pretend that there's going to be a point where you go, I'm okay moving my first. Maybe I don't want to do it now. I want to preserve the flexibility to the future. But one of the deals that you can make is it's very hard to buy when everyone else in your league knows you're sitting on a late first. It's very hard to buy an asset that you think is probably valued around a late first, but also has some insulation for the future, right? So if you go, hey, you know, like Michael Pittman probably is worth a mid to late first. You know, he can probably be replaced by the wide receiver three, four, five, six in next year's class. It's probably a fair range. But the person selling him doesn't necessarily want to sell any sort of future flexibility or future stability to you, knowing that you're going to get some production out of it, 
and you're going to have some future liquidity or some future stability in that asset. So I think Pittman's a great example as a guy that you would feel comfortable paying that price for because you're not just getting the short-term production. You know, you are getting some future value where you go, okay, maybe he's not worth a first in the offseason just because the offseason gets here and new players pop up and people are always chasing the next big thing, and that's not Michael Pittman. But you know you have a floor of value with Pittman already. And that's the type of asset that people typically want to trade for. What they don't want to do is give up their future first for, yep, Keenan Allen. He's producing pretty well, but I already know what he is going forward. So there's not a lot of people that are just looking for that type of player. So when I say the veteran Dumble combo is the last deal that I would do, it's one of the deals where you go, you know what, I've shopped around. I've looked for some future stability with the trade that I'm getting, where I'm moving my future first for a somewhat insulated future player that's also producing. Like, that's the dream trade, where you can go, I'm trading next year's 111 for a top 24, top 30 receiver. Because you're probably going to end up looking at receiver in that range anyway. And I'm still buying some insulation next year and getting the production this year. That's the dream trade for the buyer. The seller is going, well, you know, I'm kind of out of it this year, but Michael Pittman's 25. DJ Moore's 26. Why do I want to trade them right now for just a first? Because at best, I re-roll on a younger player at the same position, but at worst... There's no other deals where I can get done because that's a clear 111 or 112 and everyone's just going to say you're going to have to pick. And then I better pick right, otherwise I lost a usable player. So I think a lot of people shy away from making that type of deal. So the veteran Dumble combo is this. Quite simply, you're almost kind of just selling your soul for two pieces. It has to be two pieces. The deal that I gave up was a future first, which I project to be outside of the top 10. So it's a 14-teamer and I consider this to be Uh, One of those picks where, you know, it's not going to be one that I'm going to get burned on by trading it away, but I needed starters. It's a start 11, 14 teamer, and I needed starters. And so I traded my future first for Christian Kirk and Joe Mixon. Now, I'd never give up a first for either one of those guys straight up. Wouldn't even entertain it. I don't care how good they were. Don't care about their situation. I'm not going to pay a first for that. But I couldn't probably buy another asset right away. And the wins that I was able to get are more valuable to me now than waiting on that deal. Because just knowing the league, and this is part of it, having some intuition on how the league is going to react. I didn't really see, especially in a 14 teamer where people are a little more shy to accept picks because if they are really late, then you're actually getting a second round pick. You're getting like the 201 or the 202. So I just didn't think the market was going to open up enough. And I'm like, you know what? That's a deal where I needed some players, but I was willing to do it. And it's not one that I would make in every league, but I was willing to do it because I'm getting the two pieces. And there are times where this will come up later in the year where someone is wanting to sell and they just want to liquidate and they will sell you two pieces. Now they may try to sell the pieces individually, but if you say, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with what I'm offering. All I can give you is a first but I need Derrick Henry and I need this producing wide receiver or I need this kind of crusty QB and I need this running back, whatever it might be, but I need two pieces. If you can do that, I am on board essentially selling my future first for as many points as I can get, but I want it to be two pieces. That's especially if it's like a start 11 or start 12, it's almost a must. 
It's more advantageous if you can do it there, but it's almost a must. And that's where I'm willing to go against the grain and sell one of those late future firsts for two producing players. So don't get suckered. Don't pay the first for the one player. Shoot for the two. Try to get two productive players. It gives you two multiple outs on what could happen the rest of the year from a production standpoint. And you never know. Sometimes you buy something where there is a little bit of a market next year. I mean, you would have included guys like Tyler Lockett in deals like this last year. Hey, he's never worth a first. But if I could have got him and somebody else, maybe they last another year. You know, last year, if I would have bought Joe Mixon and Tyler Lockett, people would have been like, yeah, that's not worth a first. Neither of those guys are worth first. But the key was I got both. And both of them actually returned a little bit of value now. Like, could you have gotten a first for him this year? No. But you could sell both. If your team fell out of it, you could sell both of those guys for a second. So right there, you didn't entirely lose. And maybe sometimes you get lucky and they last another year where there's a market where you can get out at least something. To where essentially if you won or got close to winning last year by making a deal of a first for Lockett and Joe Mixon, maybe you won and then you probably could have sold both guys for at least a second before this season or right now. So you kind of won, got your win, got your money, got your points, and you still got out for some sort of liquid assets that you never expected that you would get out for given where they are in their dynasty career. So I like that move. There's just a lot of ways that you can benefit in that. Uh, And it starts with getting the production, uh, but it also starts with buying a couple players. It gives you one extra shot instead of a one-for-one. It gives you two shots on maybe cashing out for some sort of value in the future. So to recap the five trades, the QB3 teardown, where you tear down off your QB3 uh, just for other starters or just another spot starter that can last you the rest of the year and only fill in when you need to. QB3 is one of the most overrated spots in your roster construction. Uh, The flat wide receiver pivot, where you pivot between two receivers in the flat tier and you pick up some extra value. So you give up like a receiver for a third or a receiver and a third and you get back a receiver and a second. The third one is the running back leverage deal where you give up a spot start running back when you do not need them for a draft pick and another running back back. So you replace that body with another body that isn't currently useful. The fourth one is the running back tight end liquidation deal where basically you free up your roster construction from not having to make too many decisions at those spots. If you need to play them, don't move them. But if you don't, go, man, I really don't want to decide between three tight ends. I don't want to decide between four spot start running backs. So let me trade a couple. Makes my life easier to make those decisions. And I also never am going to look back and go, man, I started the wrong tight end. Nope, you started the only tight end that you had. Then finally, the veteran double combo. This is where you trade away a future pick. And it doesn't even always have to be a first. It could be a second but you get two usable pieces, not one. It's not a one for one. It is a form of a leverage trade, but you're not getting a pick back, but you trade a first for two players you can put in your lineup that probably can really help you from a production standpoint, from a dynasty standpoint, they're not worth a first. Same with the second. You give up a second, you get a couple potential, maybe a spot start QB for a couple weeks and a spot start running back for a couple weeks, whatever it might be, but it's a two for one. With the goal being, hey, I don't want to give this up for one of the players. They're not worth that. But you may have a motivated seller that goes, you know what? I'll give you two pieces. Really what I want is the pick. So it can work both ways. But for there, the benefit is you're really getting that production and you're giving yourself two outs for that production to maintain. And maybe there's some rebound value where you can get out on those players next year. So that's the show. Appreciate everybody tuning in. 
Uh, Destination Chill will be back on Wednesday. Ray and I hitting another topic. We really, really enjoyed. I wanted to give everybody a shout out that was in the audience. Uh, that was our first show where we really kind of just let loose. We just talked about what we saw out there. And we had a long discussion after that show. The day after that show, we had a long discussion back and forth. I'm like, you know what? There was a lot of positives that came out of that. And I was really excited just to see. I mean, that seems to be, and let me know if I'm right on this. That seemed to be the perception that people really enjoyed just the real talk. It didn't have to be scripted. Just the real talk about what we are going through as even dynasty analysts, but just as dynasty players out there in leagues trying to get stuff done. I mean, him and I both understand the idea of the paralysis and the supply and the demand and the motivation just to get deals done. Like the motivation for me just to get deals done in leagues where I want to go in a certain direction, just help me get there. I will help you get where you need to go. But the idea that it's just you can't do that in some leagues, it's very frustrating. So I think people appreciated that real talk that we had on Destination Chill. So that's going to continue. That's going to be the future vibe of the show a little bit more than it was and we originally planned. War Games, more to come on that very soon. Dynasty Trades in 5 will be back every Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, live stream. Appreciate everybody that has been there for the first two years. We are just getting started. And then finally, this week, after Destination Chill, uh, check out the AMA. We are going to have one of our featured writers, Ty DeClaire, will be the guest with Ray on the AMA. So that's going to be October the 11th in the Discord after Destination Chill. So that's around 10.05 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they go live on the raise room stages in the Discord and just talk. Last week with Shane, it lasted an hour and a half. It's just Dynasty Talk. You have an opportunity to get up there, ask your questions directly, and there's tons of topics that get discussed. So check that out. Ty DeClaire, he writes the Trade of the Week article, and he really goes in depth as to the war and the roster construction. So if you haven't read that article, uh, shout out to Ty that puts together a really good, well-researched article every week, and he will be on the AMA this week. Uh, after Destination Chill. So 10.05 Eastern Time in the Discord. Him and Ray live on the stages chopping it up. And with that, check out everything again. Patreon.com slash allgas and DestinationDevy.com. I appreciate everybody. Good luck in your remaining matchups in Week 5. And I will go ahead and sign off for the week. Be chill. There's a rumor going down About me and you Stirring